I want to thank you all for listening today. My name is Shanti Harkness, and I'm the media manager for On Technology Partners, a woman-owned company addressing cybersecurity and risk. As a woman-owned business for 30 years, we wanted to share the stories of women and the struggles, triumphs, and reflections they face. This is why we started Women Stars. Join us as we share the reflections of women just like you that have survived struggles and embraced triumphs in their lives. Today, we'll be talking with Kelly Kidd. I've known Kelly for, is it about eight years now, I believe? At least. Yeah. Um, she has been a wonderful mentor, colleague, and friend. So Kelly, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Oh, thank you for having me and for thinking of me for this segment. It's exciting. Absolutely. We're excited to have you. So before we begin, we'll have a little icebreaker question. So tell us something that others may not know about you or something funny or exciting about yourself. Huh. Well, exciting is uh, right now, actually, with the pandemic and a lot of time that we have in the house, uh, and, and I am focusing on actually building the creative aspects of my craft business. So that's been really exciting. I have the time to do that that I wouldn't otherwise have. And something funny is I do not like my bare feet touching the grass. Uh, so I need to have shoes when I walk in the grass at all times, uh, bare feet anywhere else is fair game. So <laughs> that's, that's interesting. Very yeah. funny indeed, but, but exciting news about, um, being able to work on your craft business. Um, yeah. I know you really is exciting, some really amazing different crafts. So that's exciting. You get to work on that more. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So uh, let's go ahead and get into this interview. So if you could just tell us a little bit about um, what you do, um, your, your background, um, different positions that you've held, your, your education, um, how long you've been in your field, things like that. Sure, sure. In general, my positions have all been related to public health. And I've been, gosh, working in public health for a little over 20 years now. I would say. And I have a education-wise bachelor's degree in health science with a focus on community health and health education, which uh, basically is uh, pre-med with social sciences included is kind of the, how the degree is focused. And uh, I have a master's in public health with a focus on community health and I uh, have not finished, but I've completed 84 credits of a doctorate degree in education, so an EDD as opposed to a PhD. And the focus is adult learning and higher education. I personally like the adult learning part. And uh, I've completed my research. I just haven't written up everything and, you know, defended it and all of that stuff. And gosh, I've worked in profit, nonprofit, home infusion, health departments, oh, national nonprofit organizations, health systems, retail pharmacy. I'm sure I'm missing a couple of things. And I've done anything from actually uh, marketing and media for a health system and health educator, uh, health education supervisor, community impact director, patient education, uh, and patient 
experience coach. Um, that was actually one of my most interesting jobs. And I think I'm forgetting the rest of the question, but hopefully I've touched on everything. <laughs> very, very well-rounded in, yes. in the different, um, uh, different, um, can't think of what the right word is the the different areas or, or organizations related to public health and education and wellness and and things like that um, yeah the different industries that's the word I was looking for yeah I think I've been really fortunate and it hasn't been as an aside it hasn't really been until the past few years that I've really realized that when it comes to public health, I've been lucky enough to have experiences that a lot of individuals in public health haven't had the opportunity to have just by nature of kind of following what I'm interested in and following my passion and, and being able to see the continuum of care when it comes from health and the patient perspective to the provider perspective to the administrative pers perspective, public, private. And it's been, uh, it's been an interesting ride. <laughs> yeah. So that, that actually leads me into my next question is, how did you decide what you wanted to do with your life? How did you decide on, on your career choice? Well, I'd have to take that back, oh, 92, 93, so a while ago. And I started out in 90 in uh, school for physical therapy. Wanted to be a physical therapist at that time. You know, now it's industry standard to go to when you're a B, when you're a PT, you have your DPT, so your doctor to physical therapy, and then it was not. So I found a program where it you didn't have to reapply as long as you kept your grades up. You went five years, you had your DPT, and it was fabulous because it was very focused. And unfortunately, after my first year, I was a tenth of a grade point away from keeping my full scholarship to stay. So I needed to take a year off school. During that year, I volunteered athletic therapy, or I'm sorry, athletic training, physical therapy clinic, and, and the like. And I decided that what I liked about it, or what I thought I liked about it, was a very small part of what the discipline is. So when I went to Slippery Rock, transferred schools, I started out with athletic training as my major because you had to pick something. My advisor suggested that I take an intro to community health class. So I took an intro to community health class with Mr. Bish. And Mr. Bish, if you're out there listening to this, thank you, because I truly owe my life's passion to your class. And I was hooked. I, not even two months in, I went to my advisor, changed my major and said, this is what I'm doing. This is my purpose in life. I feel it in my bones. I know this is what I want to do. I'm doing it. And I've not, never looked back. It's, it's was, yeah, it's pretty cool. It is. That's, that's great that you had, you know, one, one particular teacher that you can trace that back to. Um, yes. I, I know that teachers and professors can have a, a huge impact on, on a person's trajectory as far as their career and, 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 you know, life choices that they make. So that's, that's wonderful that you had that experience. So before we get into talking about struggles, let's take yes. a moment and focus on some of your biggest triumphs. Can you share what, what happened and why, why it was such a great triumph for you? For me, I'm very 
focused on and the core of my being is really centered on patient personal choice, right? Health equity uh, are terms we hear today and social justice is a term that you know we hear today. And really, I think that I, I truly believe in the inher- inherent worth and dignity of all living things. And trust is a big foundation of that. And I would say one of my, and I might tear as I share this story, uh, one of my biggest triumphs is one day an individual walked into where I was working. And so I worked at a federally qualified health center at the time. And he said, you, you told me that you would always be there for me. And I had just done some basic outreach education. That's how I, that's how I uh, came to know this person and said, and I said, yes. And he said, well, I'm thinking of killing myself. And the only thing that I could think of was that you're a person in my life who said you'd always be there for me. And so I came to see you. Yeah, sorry, I would cheer a little. Yeah, I think that is when you have that kind of trust (laughs) and you can be there for someone in their moment of need, that's a triumph. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, I didn't expect that. No, it's okay. You're you're actually making me cry Um, because I, you know, I I can relate to to that person. You know, I've struggled with depression almost my entire life. Um, but I didn't have anybody that I could reach out to when I was at that point. So for that man to, to be able to trust you and to be able to reach out to you and in such, such a, a time of need just speaks volumes. Um, and, and that you were able to be there for him. That's definitely a triumph. It's an honor. And, and I would say, you know, also shines light on, for all intents and purposes, I'm, I'm an acquaintance for him, right? I had met him once. And so it also makes me think, well, I'm, I'm deeply honored that I could be the person that he chose to trust and reach out to in, yeah, what has to be one of the most vulnerable moments in a person's life that, I also think about what is his circumstance that, as you mentioned, you know, having that kind of support and having a support system that for all intensive purposes, he needed to reach out to someone who he had just met once. And that I think is also part of what drives me is that what else is there and what is that environment and how can we really make sure that those support systems are there and that environment exists for everyone uh, that they can that they can feel that they can not only be vulnerable but share that because it, it is that topic specifically is very delicate and uncomfortable for a lot of people too but anyway yeah, so I would say trust. That's one of you know many stories, but I would say that you know my triumphs are are trust. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that. So we know that, that triumphs don't come without <laughs> their share of struggles, right? Absolutely. So, what have been some of your biggest struggles? This can be professionally. This can be personally. 
Um, you know, if you could share how you got through it, how it affected you, um, what kind of impact it had on your life or your career and, and what really made it so challenging. Sure. Um, gosh, I would say one of the biggest and, and probably obvious ones just by looking at me is the fact that I am a woman. And being a woman in even in an industry that typically is saturated with women, right, public health, and typically does have a very female heavy environment. Uh, and even so, I think being being a woman and being a woman who I wasn't always this way, who is uh, more assertive and who will speak for those who often don't have a voice and will cause that friction and push, uh, you know, professionally, of course, but push those lines that people often will consider taboo, but they need to be discussed uh, because they are a foundation of the environment, whatever environment that is. I would say that's been one of the one of the biggest struggles that I have, not having a clinical degree, I do not have a clinical degree, and working in environments where it is clinician heavy and public health, not having a clinical degree, but still knowing what I know, has also been a challenge with uh, credibility and influence. It is very easy, and I'm sure so many people can relate to this, it's very common to dismiss uh, a female with thoughts and ideas, especially when she is a little more assertive. And it is even more common, unfortunately so, to uh, struggle and resist embracing an individual in a clinical environment that does not have a clinical degree. Um, and, and I think though professionally, those have been the two biggest struggles, especially when interacting with C-suite individuals. So organizational leaders and uh, decision makers who in certain systems may be clinicians themselves and who really are, it's just a lack of exposure. I'd like to say that it's, that it's ego. And in some, some cases it is, I'd like to say, and it's very easy to say that it would be, uh, because of, you know, males and males in authority. That's not always the case either. I really think it's the division and the separation of, in my field at least, uh, the clinical and the non-clinical. And really that integration, we hear that a lot in public health too, right? Integrative health. And uh, we're looking at mental health. We're looking at behavioral health and that integration. We're looking at substance use and abuse. We're looking at patient-centered medical home, right? And how do we have this home base for individuals to receive the care that they need and recognizing that different disciplines have their strengths and have their uh, limitations. And so how can we really have this collective effort of individuals caring or, or you know, teams caring for individuals and communities and themselves? And so I find that, you know, as uh, as a woman, I've struggled as a non-clinician, I've struggled. And it really comes down to just how traditions have been um, kind of established over time and that separation that we have seen uh, in the public health profession of 
this is my job, this is my job, and, and this hierarchy of beliefs of how useful these aspects are. But now we're seeing, especially in the pandemic, that the non-clinical aspects of life are very, very important to the health and well-being of an individual. And how, you know, how can we address that? And I, I feel like I've I've been talking too much about that because I, I really could go on and on with that conversation forever. Uh, and so I'll, I'll, I'll put a pause on that. And personally, I would say the struggle has been I have complex PTSD. And so with that does come, oh, its own set of challenges with panic and with anxiety, uh, with aspects of depression. And I think the, the filter that you see the world with, right? And especially when one of the challenges is, you know, am I safe? Uh, and, and that's one of the things that I have a challenge with and panic with my PTSD that uh, that has been something to that I've had to take a step back and reframe how I see conversations, um, how I look at the whole picture, you know, not only what's being said, but body language and what is the intent behind this. And that has, while unfortunate because that is something that I struggle with, it also has helped me in my career to see what does this person mean when someone is frustrated, when they're yelling, if they're swearing, for example, in a lot of the environments that I've been in, what does that really mean? What does that person struggle? What is going on? And it has made me, I think, more in tune to that and more empathic as a result. Uh, but I do struggle, especially in the arena of confidence, right? And that I, am I allowed to say a swear word? Uh, let's keep it G. Okay. That I am uh, a bad, and I can, you know, I can do it, that I am empowered and uh, that it's okay if I do these things. So I think that's the that's the personal struggle. And then having those professional layers of, of just being a female in society, uh, I think plays on that as well. Uh, so yeah, you just find a balance and it's always a work in progress. Absolutely. So, so to kind of go along with all of that, that, that you shared, do you have um, like any kinds of tips or tricks that you use to help you get through those challenging times or to, to help you get through those struggles? Yeah, that's a really good question. I meditate a lot. My favorite. I, and, and actually, that's just something that I've come to do in the past year. And it has been really helpful to just take that pause. And I think just taking that pause, acknowledging what it is that you're feeling and kind of moving through that, it's the best three to five minutes and sometimes 20, <laughs> sometimes once a day, sometimes, you know, eight or nine times a day, depending on what's happening. Uh, but I think just taking that pause and, and I would say also self-care has been very important to me. I, I know that I need breakfast. I know that I need water uh, and really just listening to my body and what it needs. And instead of fighting that, kind of leaning into it and being kind to myself. And I'm a perfectionist. And, you know, that that comes part of that is born from from PTSD and, and past experiences. And part of that, I, I, I think I come by it honestly and being born that way. And so being kind to yourself and having self-compassion 
is really helpful as well. And then the other aspect is just creating. Having that artistic part of myself has been really helpful in channeling joy and sharing that and in channeling, you know, frustration. And when I create, then it it brings out that part of me that really is centering as well. Thank you so much for sharing that. I yeah. I know for myself as well, meditation has been monumental in in helping to to allow me to experience inner peace and calm, even in the midst of chaos and and everything falling apart in my life. Um, meditation has really helped to to ground me and center me and and to allow me to experience that peace in the midst of storms. And, and I've also found that with meditation and self-care, like you mentioned, all leads to more creativity and inspiration. It does. You know, before I, before I started really taking care of myself and, and meditating and quieting my mind, you know, I have an entire art room, but I never went in there. Like I never touched anything because I had no creative drive whatsoever. Like everything was just in chaos. And so when I took that time to really step back, meditate, take care of myself, it was just like, ooh, inspiration and creativity and, you know, wanting to do all of these different little things that, that just really make you feel so much better. Like, it you know, and, and I know you can relate with, with the, the creative work that you do, but you feel so good when you're done. So yeah. good. And it's just yeah. like this wonderful perpetual cycle that, that the more you take care of yourself, you know, mm-hmm. the, the easier it becomes, the greater the feeling that, that you have as a result. So it's a, a yeah. wonderful reminder to our viewers and our readers to, you know, take the time to take care of yourself and mm-hmm. good things will, will follow with that. It, it counts for a lot and we have to take the time, whether it's a chunk of time or two minutes, you know, one minute, 30 seconds. You can, there's always a part of the day that you can take to have some kind of self-care and it may be sitting on the porch for five minutes. You know, it's, it doesn't have to be the exercise, you know, X amount of times a day and 10,000 steps. And they're all great guidelines for health. Sometimes we need to look at the realistic aspects of our life and what's the next best thing that I can do for myself. Maybe step. I might not Absolutely. be able to do all of it all of the time perfectly, right. but, but every little step that we can take is yep. going to have a benefit short-term yep. and long-term. Absolutely. Wonderful. Um, so this kind of goes into, into my next question. You know, women in this modern age, we balance so many different things oh, yeah. in our life. Um, so how do you make sure that you're maintaining a, a work-life balance? I know it's a little different now that, that with the pandemic, you're, you don't have a, a, a job and are searching, but just like yeah. in general, um, how do you make sure that you're keeping that work-life balance? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. And I would say even being unemployed, uh, there still is this work-life balance, right? Because searching for a job is, that's a lot of work. Job in and of itself, uh, different circumstances, of course. Uh, but yeah, I think for me, it it really is that creative aspect. It is actually even whether I'm creating something or I'm reading a book, I'm meditating, I'm watching my favorite 
funny movie and having a laugh. I'm you're talking with a friend. It is just making sure that I take time for something that is for me. Uh, even when we are balancing family, right? Significant others in the home, children, if we're caring for parents or someone else, you know, we have so many different roles and hats that it can be, it, it, and we tend to care for ourselves last, right? We hear it, every, you know, everything we hear, it's all around us. We, we tend to care for ourselves last. And, and it's, it's cliche and yet, yet it's true. You know, who cares for the caregiver? We do. And I think giving yourself permission to be able to do that is is essential. I used to be the person who carried the BlackBerry and answered, you know, phone, worked 80 hours a week and and answered phone calls and and emails at 11 o'clock at night. And I quickly learned that that continues to happen when you set the stage for that to be able to happen. And for me, I think what changed that to have a balance was I uh, was a manager of a program. I had the flu. I was home with the flu and received a call from my supervisor to say that the state needed a report. And I have a hundred three fever. <laughs> There's no way that I that I'm going to be able to function function to get these things done. And my response was, you know, the information that they need is is in different reports. I think my team can pull it together. Uh, and you know, it'll be okay. I, I, I really don't, I push back and said, I, you know, I have the flu. I, I'm, I cannot come in and do this. I, I just can't. And I think that conversation really helped me to, to frame that. Oh my gosh, I'm lacking that balance. Oh my gosh. You know, how did I get here? How, how did, how did it happen that I'm getting a phone call when I have 103 fever demanding a report that didn't need to be done that day? And it, it truly. And so, you know, all of it worked out. And, you know, my supervisor called the state, explained that I was home with the flu and they were fine with it. And that's when I really realized that you need to be you need to have that balance and be able to set those boundaries for yourself. Yeah. And I think juggling is just really what are the, what are the most important things that you need to do for the day uh, or for the moment or for the minute and make sure that that includes time for you. Very important reminders. I, I... I wanted to mention this earlier when you were talking about assertiveness and and speaking up, um, and it's it's so important because I I feel many women are are afraid to do that, and and I include myself in that, and I oh, yeah. actually I can thank you and your example oh. of of your assertiveness and your commitment to speaking up, especially for people that don't have a voice or or that are afraid to speak up for themselves that that you provided a great example and showed me that, no, if you see an injustice or if you see something that's not right, speak up because, you know, nobody else is. And, you know, if it's right and you know it, you have to speak up. Mm-hmm. So I, I thank you for that. You've been a, like I thank mentioned, you. A, a wonderful mentor and, and role model. And, and I have you to thank for, for a lot of that. Um, so I, I think it's just a nice reminder for all of our viewers as well to, you know, to, to not be afraid, you know, this is, is your health. This is your life. This is your career. If, if you need something or see something that, that isn't right, you need to speak up. 
and, and yes. be concerned about, you know, what any potential consequences might be that, mm-hmm. that you have to stand up for, for the truth and for what you need and, and for what's right. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, yes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for making my day with that compliment. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, because we, we juggle so many different responsibilities and, and caregiving and illnesses and, and things of that nature, um, what do you think are, are some of the things that employers could do to, to help women to, to be able to, to have that work-life balance and, and to be able to juggle all of these things that we do? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think that we're that experiencing the pandemic, we are seeing the struggles of that balance more. Right. Even though yeah, and and I know that we're not excluding males and their role in helping in the household, but truly women are traditionally and continue to traditionally be seen as the main caregivers, those who carry the mental load for the home, those who organize things and really overall provide that care even after work. And now we're looking at during work, there's this balance and this added challenge because individuals are working from home. And I think employers, flexible hours when it's appropriate and when there's an environment to be able to do so would be very helpful. Uh, My most recent employer was fabulous. Now for myself, I do not have little ones at home that I need to uh, fit into that schedule, but so many of my colleagues and even uh, my boss and vice presidents would, you know, I get my kids on the bus. And so I start my day here, then I take this break and then, you know, I pick up my kids from school and having that flexibility and that is is so helpful from a family standpoint, from a task standpoint. But I really think the culture of care is what makes the biggest difference. When you have an organization that no matter how big or small, and my most previous employer is a national organization. And so when you have that culture of caring and that culture of health and that culture of family, then it's very easy to be flexible with things and be adaptive in an environment. Uh, as an example, I have I have fragrance sensitivities, terrible ones that can uh, certain types of fragrances and smells can actually send me to the emergency room and, and my throat closes. And I've worked in various environments where even something like that is either embraced or oh, you're you're a woman who just you know, has a hard time with stress and things. And so, you know, just go take care of that. And, and it's more dismissed as opposed to a male colleague. And so I think just looking at that culture of we have individuals, what does it take within the boundaries of the business, right? Because there still is work to be done and there still are, are deadlines that need to be accomplished. And how can we foster uh, pay, right? That balance is helpful when women are paid, uh, when there's equity of pay. Uh, When we look at educational opportunities that are often not afforded to to women that are for men, uh, I would say opportunities for females to lead, uh, whether it's in title or in a project or a team or a task, uh, and, and just provide those opportunities for exposure for that professional growth. And then, as I said, personally, having that flexibility of hours of um, 
mean, all kinds of things from daycare on site to laundry on site to, you know, some of those things that uh, just make it easier to, to accomplish tasks and be able to be focused on work as a start. <laughs> because again, that's a whole other, you know, day long conversation, but yeah. Yeah. I, I think all of your suggestions are, are spot on. I, I know the, the flexibility of schedules in a job is massive. Um, and, and I know I, I've had a few jobs that have had that flexibility and it's been great, you know, being able to, to, you know, change my, my start time or my end time, or to be able to go to a doctor's appointment or, or a meeting that, that I can work with my work schedule to, to be able to accommodate those. And it's, it's so much easier and less stressful um, of, of a, a work option. And I'm, I'm so thankful for, for those jobs and, and those positions that, that afforded that to me. Um, so that definitely, I think, goes a long way towards, towards that balance. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. When women are seen as an asset as opposed to a potential liability, it really changes the game. Absolutely. Absolutely. So speaking of women as, as assets, do you think that a person has to overcome setbacks or challenges in order to truly be successful? I don't know that I can answer that question well, only because life is not without setbacks and challenges. So I would say that there are very few people who could who could sit in front of you or anyone and say, never had a setback and I've never had a challenge. So I don't know that that can be taken out of the equation. I think that some people definitely have more setbacks and challenges than others. And depending on what it is, it can really shape and change a person and who they are and, and, and influence. You know, I, I lost my shoes is very different than, you know, my house burned down, for example. And so, but yet you never know if those lost shoes had an impact on someone so significantly. So I would say yes, only by nature of because it's it's life for for everyone. How we measure success can be very different as well. And so I, I would I would say it depends on your <laughs> definition of success. I really don't mean to sound so elusive on answering the question. Uh, to me, it's it's not necessarily a, a yes or a, a no answer. I think it's it's how do you I think it's more how do you handle what life brings and how do you find ways to be resilient and how are you focusing on what matters most as opposed to societal standard of of success, which I'm not saying you're implying, and did I have a setback or not? But how how is that used to propel you forward or, you know, something else? Thank you for your your explanation. That'll actually lead me right into my next question. Uh, so, so how do you define success? And do you feel that you yourself are successful? Most days, yes. 
unsuccessful. I would say when I go to bed at night and I feel good about myself and about the work that I've done, regardless of what that is, you know, right now being an employee, it's not actually work, work. And that I, the proverbial saying, I've done no harm, then it's a good day. And it's, it's a successful day. Again, just depends on, you know, how do you, how do you measure success? But yeah, I think most days I am successful. And I'm sorry, what was the other part of the question? I've already how forgotten. You, how you define success? Yeah, for me, it's, it, it is those things. You know, I, I live in an apartment. I don't have a house. I still feel successful. I think it's your, your personal passion and living your purpose. And if I've been able to, to do that, and if I've been able to, to help someone along the way, then to me, you know, that is success. So Thank you. Do you have any, like any habits or, or any, any, anything that you do that, that helps you to feel successful? Yeah, that's a really good question because I'm working on getting back to those habits now. Uh, Learning. Uh, For me professionally, I really like to see who's hiring, who's not, what kinds of positions, what kinds of jobs. It gives me a pulse on the ebbs and flows of the and reading articles, uh, being very active on blogs and different discussion lists. That for me helps to, I like to learn. So that for me helps me to have that learning. Uh, I belong to a health literacy discussion list. And that's one of the habits I'm trying to get back into is being more active in that so that I can learn from others and what they are doing and have those different perspectives so that I can just kind of understand more about the world. And yeah. Never stop learning. That's never stop learning. Very good advice. Never, 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 never. Uh, never. And yeah. And just surround yourself with good people because they, I learn more that way. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, so what is the best advice that you've ever received? Wow. (laughs) Be the sandpaper. When I moved to Harrisburg, my first job here my boss, my boss at the time said, be the sandpaper because change only comes from friction. Mm-hmm. And my, not that I haven't received, you know, great advice all the other times in my life. <laughs> so it's not that I've been absent of good advice for what, 40 some years, but uh, just the way that she put it was really put a lot of things into perspective. And my role at the time uh, as patient engagement coach, I think I said experience before, was to really uh, change culture. My job was culture change. A lot of resistance to that. And uh, of course, because it's, it's a process. And when you... The only thing that comes uh, that fosters change is a little bit of friction. And, you know, it can be good. Challenges can be good. Conflict can be healthy. And uh, I would say that that kind of 
intertwines into the the second best piece of advice that I've ever received was it's very good to be disliked by the right people. I love both of them. I, yeah. I really like the sandpaper. I, I wasn't yeah. quite sure where that was going to go uh, when you when you yeah. first did that. <laughs> it, but it, it yeah. reminded me of of another quote that I had heard many, many years ago about life being a grinding stone, whether oh. it grinds you down or polishes you up depends on what you're made of. And, and that kind of reminded me of your, your sandpaper. Um, yeah. But yeah. That's, that's a yeah. Great Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And actually your mention of the grinding stone reminds me of the, are you the carrot, the egg or the coffee uh, parable? I don't know if you've ever heard of that. I, I believe I have. Yes. But if you yeah. wouldn't mind sharing that for our viewers. Well, yeah. So the, so the essence of the story is when uh, a life, to, and it's a great story to read. So I, I encourage everyone to to search for the carrot, the egg, and a coffee story. And in essence, is you know, when challenges in life arise, are you the carrot that goes in hard and comes out, you know, very soft, and the the boiling water kind of damages you, right? So you're in hot water, things are boiling around you. Are you like the egg that goes in? soft and comes out very hardened, jaded, um, cynical, or are you the coffee that just really embraces the water, allows the water to create something, you know, like coffee that it blends and it, it leans into it and it, it, uh, just uses that to its advantage to create the best situation possible. So it's, yeah, it's a really interesting, a really good story to read. It is. Thank you for, for sharing that. So another fun, fun little question. Do you have yeah. any naughty little habits or, or indulgences that, that you know you shouldn't do, but that you do anyway? Oh, Netflix binge. <laughs> <laughs> Netflix binge and a bag of potato chips, actually. <laughs> I really want to be transparent. Uh, yes. Yeah. I think a lot of us can relate to that one, especially in, yeah. in the current climate. Yes. Yes. Uh, that's actually, that's one of myself. I, I say that's self-care. Uh, and, and if I do it too often, then it's, it's just a lot of self-care. <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah, I, I would say binge, binging Netflix. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, so before we close our, our interview, if you want to just take a moment and reflect on something that you may have, have wished you known sooner in life and then share that with us. Trust your gut. It never steers you wrong. Never. And I, Yeah. I would say trust your gut because there, I think that's, I don't really have a lot of regrets in life at all. I do have a few things that I wish I would have made a different choice at the time. I did the best that I could with what I had. And in each of those situations, my gut was telling me to do something else and I didn't. And I, I wish I had listened to my gut. One was going to grad school. And I put that off. I was married at the time. And uh, I 
I put that off because my then husband was too, uh, he didn't want to move, even though, you know, we had discussed that. And the second was before I moved, I was offered a job and I didn't take it. And I wish that not before I moved here to Harrisburg, but younger in life, I uh, was offered a job and I, I chose to move uh, with my then boyfriend uh, so that he could go to school because I didn't want to do distance relationship, even though we would only be two hours away. And again, not a regret, did what I thought was right at the time. Looking back, my gut was so strong in both of those. It would have been good to listen. So yeah, I would say trust, just whatever the situation, trust your gut. Very good. Thank you. So last question, what advice would you give to a young woman beginning her career? Go for it. (laughs) Just follow your passion. It will never, never steer you wrong. Learn all you can. Find those who you admire, ask them how they got there, what they learned. Just like this interview, what have you learned along the way? What advice would you have for someone like me who's just starting out? Look at jobs. You don't have to be job seeking to know what's out there. Because when you find, actually, this is one of the best pieces of advice I've ever had too. When you see jobs that excite you, look at the qualifications. And after a while, you're going to start to find a theme of what you're interested in and go get that skill, you know, go, go learn that, be part of a team or a project, whether it's personally or professionally, chase it, do it, do not hold back. That that's, that's the advice I would give. Excellent. Excellent advice. Thank you, Kelly. It has been an absolute privilege speaking with you. Thank you so much for taking the time. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. So that's all for this episode of Women's Stars. If you'd like to nominate a businesswoman to be interviewed for Women's Stars, please email their contact information and your reason for nominating them to stars at ontechpartners.com. My name is Shanti Harkness. Until next time, have a great day.